Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. Today we're gonna we're gonna look at Psalms chapter three, and uh, as we continue to look at the Psalms, and I was as I was reading and kind of studying this Psalm, I uh, I came across the story of Richard Nixon. Right, I don't know if uh, you guys ever heard of Richard Nixon, right, thirty uh, seventh president, I believe. Uh, actually, he he served as president nineteen sixty nine to nineteen seventy four. So I wasn't alive. I was not alive during that time, so I had no idea. I never saw anything of him, so I had to go to digging it for a little bit of a, of, of a biography, I guess, a little bit of history, and, and according to records, Nixon was actually very successful in his early uh, political years before he became president, but the most successful period in Nixon, Nixon time was when he actually became president. I mean, that's kind of it, right? If, if you ever want to seek high office and you ever want to go up in the chain of of you know positions, the top is president, right? Because it comes with so much power, so much, so much acknowledgement, so much, uh, just so much influence. You know, everywhere he went, people wanted to meet him. Everywhere he went, people wanted to, to talk to him. Uh, and that's that's a lot of attention. That's a lot of power. He actually was credited for edit, for ending the American, uh, the Americans fighting in Vietnam and and improving the international relationship with the USSR and China. And by all means, you can say that Nixon was on top of the world, right? At this point in time, you are a president, you have this kind of power, you can say, hey, <laughs> I'm on top of the world. And not just because you literally are, but the whole world is looking at you. The whole world knows who you are, the whole world knows what you're doing, and the whole world wants to talk to you. Because they know that you have the power to influence, you have the power to make things change. But all that came to a screeching stop one day. See, Nixon was accused of being involved in what was called the Watergate scandal. And I'm not going to go into too much of what happened, because we'll be here all morning talking about Nixon. I don't want to. Uh, You can look it up. Just Google it. It's all over the Internet. But basically, he was accused of trying to steal information. And he was accused of planting uh, listening devices in the hotel rooms where the Democrats were gathering when it was time to, uh, to start you know, going after the second term uh, of presidency. So he was accused of trying to steal information. That way he could get an upper hand in getting reelected in the next uh, term. So because of the scandal, because of all the investigation, Nixon was actually forced to resign as president of the United States. And he's probably, if I'm not mistaken, he's, was, he's the only one in history of the United States that's ever had to resign from being president. And just like that, he went from being somebody to being nobody. Just like that, just in the blink of an eye, he lost everything. 
Nixon was one day on top of the world, and then the next, everything came crumbling down. Everyone hated him. They talked bad about him. And almost everyone didn't want to have nothing to do with him. Basically, the only people that really wanted to have any involvement with him was the lawyers that were suing him or the ones that were getting paid to defend him. Just like that, someone stepped in and took over his office. Just as easy as that. As easy as he became president, as easy he lost everything. Imagine if that were to happen to you. Imagine one day everything is going as good as it gets. You're on top of the world, your world at least. And then one day you're being accused of something or all these problems starts to come up from every single direction. And eventually your whole life just crumbles and everyone is just turning against you. Imagine if that was happening to you. Just like Nixon, one day you're on top of the world, the next day you're literally getting kicked out of the world. Because no one wants to have nothing to do with you. No one cares who you are or what you have to say. And look, don't get me wrong. If you look at history, it was his fault. Right? It was his own doing. You know, he was later found guilty of being behind everything. But that same thing that happened to him happens to all of us. And many times it's not even our own fault. Many times it just happens. I mean, we work hard, we pay taxes, we mind our own business, yet something really bad just happens. But what then? Where do you run to when things start to kind of come undone and and there's no one to talk to because no one wants to talk to you. All they want to do is talk about you. What then? What do you do where no one has your back? I want to look at Psalms 3 because I think David has a pretty good understanding of this type of situation. And I think he can answer those questions for us. So turn with me to Psalms chapter 3. We, we read the whole thing at the beginning of the service, so I'm not going to read it again. But I titled this message, When the Problem Meets the Solution. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 to start. And this is where we see David's problem. So this is the problem right here. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying... My soul, there is no salvation for him. See, this poem here is credited to David. And it's categorized as a lament psalms. And it could also be sometimes categorized as a thanksgiving as well. You're going to see why. But what we see here at the beginning of the psalm is David crying out to God, lamenting about what is happening to him. And as you read it, if you, if you continue to read and meditate on what he's saying, you can see that there's a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of loss and maybe even some regret in this whole thing that he's saying. Like you can sense it in his words. You can read his words and, and look at it deeply and, and you can see how much pain David was in. 
Now, what exactly led David to this moment? You can actually find the whole story that led to this in 2 Samuel. Uh, I think it runs for about, depending where you want to start in the story, it could be from chapter 13 to chapter 19. Uh, I recommend reading it. I am not going to read it. It's, it's about seven chapters. It's a very good, heartbreaking story. So please, if you have some time at home, uh, read it. It's very good. But basically, it all has to do with his son and how his son rebelled against David. See, David and his son had a difficult relationship as a father and a son. They had a very difficult relationship. And after not speaking for some time, you know, there was some type of reconciliation between both of them. But it wasn't like this perfect reconciliation. It was almost like, a, you know, let's just, let's just kind of do it. You know, there was an, you know, somebody in the middle kind of getting them to get along, right? And eventually they started talking to each other. And David made him uh, commander of his army. And then at some point, his son Absalom began to stealthily undermine David's rules. So he started gathering and speaking to the people of Israel, the one that David ruled over. And little by little, he started influencing them and, and kind of giving them promises. He started winning the hearts of the people little by little. See, his intention was to have enough people to rule and override David. See, if I have enough people with me, David won't have a choice but to step down. And if he don't, I have enough people to kill him. So either way, remember, back then there was no democracy where we voted about who was the king. The king was king until he died, until somebody killed him, right? So if either he leaves or we take him out. So that was his intention, to become the king. After about four years of this, he started to, to have a good following. And as time passed, the followers started to grow. Such that David became, began to fear for his own life. At this point, he, there were so much people following his son that he knew that they were going to go after him. It was like, it's, you know, this is getting pretty crazy, right? He was scared. He was so scared that he forced David to gather his servants, and to free Jerusalem. And all he did was gather his servants. You, as you read, you're going to see he left behind all the wives that he had. Or he took his servants. That's all he could have taken with him. That's literally all he took with him. He went from being king to being a minority. Just having a few handful of people with him. All he had was that, a handful of supporters and whoever he took with him when he fled. And this is where we find ourselves in, in Psalms. This is why he's crying out to God. Second Samuel tells us what happened, but the Psalms tells us how David is feeling. So now that we go back to the first two verses that we read, we can see his cry. David says, many are my foes. So you're going to see him repeat the word many a few times writing those two verses. And that's because he has literally lost everyone. Actually, as per Absalom's advisor, his own son's advisor, 
He says, all of Israel, like sand by the sea in abundance. That means literally almost everyone. He only had a few people that were still behind him. His son had taken and turned everyone against him. So almost everyone has become his foe. And his foe means his enemy. So basically everyone has become David's enemy. Then he continues says, Many are rising against me. And this means that many have become hostile towards David. They were rejecting him. They were treating him like he was nothing. Remember, this was a king who ruled over the whole Israel. Everyone now is turning on him. The people have literally come together to, to go against who he is and what he stands for. And then he goes on to say, many are saying there is no salvation for him. The people were saying that God is not helping David. He's not saying, hey, he's not saved and going to heaven. They're saying there is no, God is not going to help David anymore. God's not going to deliver him. Almost like if they're saying God has abandoned David. And maybe perhaps these people saw all the sins that David did in the past, right? Because we know that David wasn't perfect. We know David was very sinful. You know, he, he had people killed and everything. So we know that. So perhaps maybe we were saying, hey, this guy sinned enough already that this is his judgment. You know what? God is just done with this guy. He's saying, enough with your sin, David. I'm no longer going to help you. They're saying God is no longer interested in David. And that has to be so painful and scary for David. I mean, his own son turned on him. He recruited his closest friends to turn on him. So his, his own son and his close friends are now his enemies. And just like that, everything's gone. Everything David ever had is gone. And now we can see his experience in the pain that he's having. We did an exercise in, in our four kids uh, class two weeks ago. Not this one, the one before that. We had to list five things that we were, uh, five things or five people uh, that we are close to, that, we, that we, we have an attachment to, that is important to us. So at the beginning, I didn't know exactly what, I kind of had an idea. I thought hey, maybe she's going to make me replace one. And like saying, hey, you, you have a new kid, so, so therefore you need to replace one of your priorities with them. You know, that's what I thought. So I'll, you know, I'll write five really, really important things, and then I'll write one that's least, the least important so I can replace that. Kind of trick the system, right? <laughs> I was wrong, okay? Uh, that wasn't what they were trying to do. She started, the teacher started to remove things from us. She said, okay, these are five things. I'm coming in and I'm taking one of them. And then I'm coming in and I'm taking another. And then I'm coming in and I'm taking another. And she started going down the list taking things from us. 
And it was all fun. Oh, don't take this. Oh, okay, I'll give this. It was fun and games till we got to the last one. All of a sudden, she took the last one. All of a sudden, we had nothing. And she asked us, how do you feel having nothing? Having everything taken away from you? How does it feel to lose all of it? And it was pretty heartbreaking just to think that everything that I find so close to me, people, things, are no longer there. They've been taken away from you. She told us, this is exactly how those kids feel when they're taken away from their parents. They feel like they lost everything. That emptiness, that fear, that confusion that they're feeling leads them to cry out the same thing. In their own terms, in their own words, they cry out, why doesn't anyone care for me? Most of the time, they don't understand. They don't know any better. They're kids. But their cry is the same thing. They cry out, why? This is how David felt when he was abandoned in his home. When he was abandoning his home. He was empty. He had nothing. Everything was taken away from him. And of course, one can argue that, you know, we, he was an adult. This is probably better for him. If you really look at it, you're no longer king. You know how much, how much stress you don't have to deal with? So you can say, and, and, and I agree, you know, simpler the life, the better, of course. I'm sure if he would have thought about it, he was like, you know, I don't have to lead anyone. <laughs> that sounds like fun. But here, no... But see, no matter what place in your life you're in, there's nothing scarier than getting to that point where David is questioning whether God is helping him or not. Because he got there. Because that's what they were saying. God ain't helping him. So now I'm thinking, is God not helping me? Imagine that. Imagine if God is no longer going to help him. Imagine he was completely abandoned by the holy God and creator of the world. Imagine if he was. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's scary to think about. Spurgeon says, If all the trials which come from heaven, all the temptations which ascend from hell, and all the crosses which arise from earth could be mixed and pressed together, they will not make a trial so terrible as that which is contained in this verse. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. There's nothing scarier than getting there. Than thinking that God ain't going to help you. That thought is very scary. Scary than all those problems that we can face. I mean, imagine feeling you, like you lost everything, including God. I mean, that's called losing everything. 
And how many of us have felt this way? I mean, not many of us can say, I don't think any of us can say that we lost kingship once. You know, we were kings of our country and now we're not. So, of course, we can't really relate 100% to David. But I think we've all been in similar situations. Think about it. How many have abandoned you, talked bad about you, maybe even seek out to hurt you? Or maybe even take your job. How many have, have experienced those things? How did that feel? How did you react to it? Or tell me if this sounds familiar. You've been called by Christ and you're a new man. And all of a sudden, no one wants to be around you. All your friends say, oh, what's wrong with this guy? He's so boring now. Who does he think he is? Is he better than me? I even want to say, how many of you have been in a situation that you have fallen as believers and everyone else just said, ah, he's messed up way too many times. This is it. God ain't helping him out of this one. That's it. How did you feel? How did you react? I think for what it's worth, I think we've all been there, somewhere in there, in between one of those situations, right? We've all had times where, where everything around us had just started to come down and, and turn into rubble. And if you haven't, put yourself in the shoes of someone who has. I'm sure your cry is going to be or your cry has been exactly like David's. And I'm sure you've gotten to that point where you think that God has actually abandoned you. But when this happens, what is your solution to the problem? And I think David has a good solution. Let's take a look. Let's look at what his solution is in verse 3 and 4. It says, But you, O Lord, are my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and I slept. I woke again. The Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of those, many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. See, David's solution is to take the focus off of his problem, off of his enemies, and put it back on God. That was his solution. Because he understood that this was beyond him. So rather than dwell on his problems, David praised God. And he praised God by recognizing five things. The first is that God is his shield. God is his protector. The protector of his soul and the protector of his life. Second, that God is his glory. God is the one that gives him dignity and vindication. You see, men find glory in the things that they own. But David finds it in God. 
If your glory is in the things that you own, when those things are taken away, you, you crumble. But David has it in God. This means that he trusts God to restore his crumbling life. Third thing, third, third thing he says is that God is the one that lifts his head. God is the one to encourage, his, to encourage him to move forward. He's encouraged because he knows that God will give him victory. Then he says, God is the answer. God answers my cry. God will be there to be the answer to his cry of distress. He has assurance that God hasn't abandoned him. He's saying, you know, they might be saying that God has abandoned me, and I might be starting to think so, but God really hasn't abandoned me. He's there answering my prayers. And lastly, he says that God is his sustainer. God is his support. Someone David can lean on. David can hold on to God and he can rest in him. And you have to be amazed and you have to be awed at this assurance and his confidence that David has. He has this, this amazing confidence in the truth of what he is saying. It's mind-blowing knowing that this guy, David, the king, lost everything Yet, his attitude is not what we expect it to be, right? When you see someone who has lost everything, he's, he's pretty angry, or he, she, she's pretty angry. You know, that person is pretty, you know, beat up, pretty down. You know, depressed in, his, in the room, closed the lights off. Many different things come to mind. But that's not his attitude, and if you're not amazed, look at it again. Look at verse 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. See, I don't think David is in a situation where it's easy to just kind of forget and, and go to sleep. Right? He's not in that situation where you're going to be like, oh, it's okay. Everything's all good. I'm going to go take a nap. I don't think so. If I was David, I would probably be tossing and turning through pretty much the whole night. I mean, this is everything that's happening, you know. It's very nerve-wracking. This circumstance is difficult. So this is not easy to just fall asleep at night. You also got to remember, he left because he was scared of his life. He was scared that somebody would come and kill him. That fear, just, you know, imagine being at home and you think somebody's going to come kill you. Good luck sleeping. It's not easy. I don't know anyone in this type of situation that would just, you know, oh, okay, I'm just going to go to sleep. You'll probably be like, hey, I, I, I'm going to grab somebody who I trust and look, come to my house. You stay up the first four hours. I'm going to take a nap. Then I'm going to wake up. Your turn, right? Take rotation, put on a schedule throughout your house. Hey, you know, look at the cameras all night and look outside. Here are the guns. Make sure 
everything's all good, right? Then it's my turn. I mean, we all know anything that can happen when you're asleep. A lot of things happen when you're asleep, especially if you're a deep sleeper. Anything can happen. You're probably continuing to sleep. And my wife's super deep sleeper. You're going to have thunderstorm outside as loud as, and she won't know. She was like, did it rain last night? What do you mean? I haven't slept all night. That's not stop thundering. She hasn't heard one. So a lot of things can happen when you're sleeping. That's why in those serious situations, people take turns, right? If you're at war or something, you know, you don't all go to sleep at the same time. There's some people that stay awake and some people that are asleep and then they, you know, they rotate. See, David should have been looking over his shoulder. That's what he should have been doing. But David was able to sleep quiet and peacefully because he knew who his God was. As a matter of fact, he made it super clear. I am not afraid. And this wasn't him giving himself a pep talk, you know, lifting himself up. Like, don't be afraid. Looking in the mirror. Oh, you're not afraid. You're not afraid. See, David fully trusted God because the power and glory belongs to the Lord. His heart and his life is set on the hands of God. And whatever the outcome him, oh, whatever the outcome is, he's not afraid. He's not afraid to face it. Whether it was his death, whether it was, you know, getting back his kinship, whether it's, you know, whatever it was, David was not afraid to face it. He was not afraid of those who will come at him. He was not afraid of whatever it is that's going to come against him. Let me tell you, all the kingdom could have literally turned like everyone, even his own servants could have turned on David. And David still would have trusted God. David still would have put his trust on God. Now, can you say this is how you're going to react? Would this have been how you would have reacted to the same situation if you would have been there? Let me tell you something honestly. There are more times that I don't than that I do. There are more times that when these situations come up where things are falling apart, that rather than trusting God, I just question God. I blame God. Very few times in those situations, I remember who God is. And I know I'm not the only one. More times than not, we are overwhelmed by our circumstance and we forget who, we forget who is our sovereign God. We forget that God is in control over everything. See, the small things, yeah, it's easy, yeah. Yeah, I trust God. And my car broke. Yeah, I trust God. He's going to. But when the storm hits, it's very easy to just be like, I got no hope. When everything is lost, then you feel hopeless. Let me ask you this. How many sleepless nights have you had in the last couple of months? Because you were worried about something. How many times counting the last week have you not been able to sleep because you've been worried about something? 
See, do you understand that David lost everything? And he was being threatened to be killed. But yet, he was able to sleep in peace. This same God that David has trusted in is the same God that we serve. So what's stopping you from having the peace that David had? What's stopping you from trusting God who is in control of everything? We got to remember what Paul said in Romans 8, 28. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know that this is you? This is you who Paul is talking about. If you have been called by God, if you're a believer, if you're saved, this is who Paul is referring to. And of course, if you're not a believer, this could, this could be you. You could have that peace. Because that is who Paul is talking about, those who love God, those who have been called by God. Everything that's going to happen to you is all going to work out for good. But as we continue, Dave still has a petition. Let's look at his petition, verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. And this is a valid request. This is a valid petition. As a matter of fact, this is a great petition because in his petition, he's still pointing to God. He's pointing to God's sovereignty over everything. See, he didn't ask for strength. God, give me strength so I can go and take on these people. God, give me a whole new army so I can get my army back. God, find a way for me to get my kingdom back. Tell me how I can do this. His petition was about God doing the work and about God's will being done. That's what he was asking for. Because David knows that it's not in him to surpass the situation and all the evil that was coming. He knew that it's God who overcomes it. And being in God is how he's going to have victory. That's why he cries out, rise, O Lord. He's not saying, Lord, rise me up again. He's saying, no, you rise up. So David's mind was on both. What he, what he trusted God to do and what God was going to do. Finally, David says in verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So David is saying salvation, deliverance, ultimately belongs to God. God will determine if, where, when, and how anyone will have deliverance. He doesn't say, God would immediately resolve my problems. 
But he says, whatever and whenever he does is all ultimately going to be for good. You know, we can learn a lot from this psalm. Everything from David's lament, we can learn so much from it. We can relate so much from it. We can learn from his trust, the way, the, the way he trusts God. We can even learn from his petition. And if you look at his petition, he's, he's even asking for the salvation and, and the peace on his own people that have turned on him. I mean, what an image of Christ. That's it. If you want to see an image of Christ in David, in the moment of losing everything, he's still praying for his people. But understand this. My concern today is not on your enemies. Okay, our enemies will one day face God. And they're going to have to answer for what they've done. One day they're all going to face judgment. And of course, we pray for our enemies, but that's not what my big concern is today. Because justice is going to be served. My concern right now is about you. We can talk about our enemies later, but right now, it's on you. Because the question is not whether you had these problems or not. The question is, what are you going to do when these problems come knocking on your door? Because he's going to. If he hasn't yet, it's going to. Just give it some time. As a matter of fact, if you want to speed it up, join a ministry in the church. You'll see how fast those problems get to you. What are you going to do? Who are you going to trust when everything comes crumbling down? Are you going to trust yourself? You have to know that when believers try to live in their own strength, they're easily defeated. Every single time doesn't fail that any time I try to put this on me, I fail. Not once I can tell you, oh, I did such a good job on my own. Ever, never. And I've tried many times. So in the midst of difficulties, the believer should trust in God. Knowing that the deliverance comes from him. Salvation is from the Lord. Whether he's going to save you now from your problems. By solving them here physically. Or by him taking you out of this world. And therefore solving your problem permanently. Whatever it is. Salvation is from the Lord. He is our savior. He's the one we trust. He's the answer to your problems. And we have to know this and believe this and live this. Just like David did. We have to be like David. Where he, we put our trust in God. Because it's not about you. It's not about David's situation. It's not about a situation. It's about what God can do in those situations. And what God is going to do in those situations. And if that situation leaves you to go home to heaven... There's no better situation and no better place to be than with God. So church, pray with me. Father in heaven.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for everything that you've promised and everything that you've done in our lives, Lord. We just ask that we may trust you. You've shown it to us over and over again how we can trust it, but yet sometimes we just forget. So, Father, allow us not to forget. And I'm not asking to give us more problems so we don't forget, Lord. Just asking you to have the Holy Spirit just remind us daily and how we should just trust in you. Father, so these words that we've just heard today, Father, just engrave them in us. So we can live this out every day, Lord. And we can be hope of those who are around us. Father, thank you again for everything. Because we don't deserve it yet. You are our deliverer. You are our, you are our salvation. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library of sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Mm -hmm.